You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Welcome back. I'm Dan Blewett. This is the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. And today's topic, we're going to talk about how many pitches should a pitcher throw and why. So this is a really important thing to discuss because what I see, it's analogous to having a really, really big family. So if you had, say, five, six, seven, eight children, uh, how are you going to spread out your attention as a parent, right? You're just going to have to divide your time in smaller chunks to every kid. Like they're just not going to get as much one-on-one time when you have such a big family, right? Just like anything, the more tasks you have, the more friends you have, the more sports you play, you have to evenly divide your time towards it, right? So in pitching, sometimes people have this mentality that more pitches is better. And in reality, you suffer from the same problems that a big family suffers from, that a really big corporation suffers from. And that's, again, dividing all of your time amongst your employees, your relationships, your kids, uh, your activities, your sports, whatever it is, right? So if you look hard at high level college baseball or pro baseball, what you see is the vast majority of those pitchers at that very high level throw three pitches. They throw three. And this is not like, I know when kids list what pitches they throw, they go, oh, I throw four seam, two seam, like four seam and two seam, they're the same pitch. It's a fastball. We don't really count those as separate pitches. You throw a straight pitch, call it a fastball. Now, if you throw a really legit sinker or a really legit cutter, then those are different pitches. But amateur pitchers in general don't really throw difference, uh, you know, throw one of those fastball variations well enough to where you could really categorize it as its own pitch. Nor do I think cutters are appropriate for young players in any capacity. So really everyone throws a fastball. After that, you need one good breaking ball and you need one changeup. Now everyone needs a changeup and here's why. Unless you can somehow predict, which you can't really, that you're gonna be a, a mid to upper 90s pitcher in pro ball, then you're going to need a changeup. I mean, essentially, the only players that don't throw changeups in professional baseball are late innings relievers. They throw so hard and their inning is so short, right? And you're going to be out there for 10 pitches, 15 pitches, maybe 20 if it's a kind of long inning. You throw such nasty, hard stuff and you're out there for such a short time that you don't really get in the position where you need to throw a third pitch. It just it just isn't that way. You rely on your fastball a little more than starters do because your fastball is so good. And then you just sort of wipe guys out with whatever your strikeout pitch is. That's really the life of a reliever. I live that as well. I had a really heavy, good moving uh, changeup, and I often just didn't throw it that much, not because I didn't believe in it, but because it just uh, kind of just took a back seat to my curveball. That just I just didn't have the need to throw three pitches in a 12-pitch outing. So unless you you can somehow extrapolate out your career where you're going to be one of those back-of-the-bullpen guys, again, which you really can't, then you're going to need that changeup that's going to fade away to opposite-sided hitters. So if you're a righty, uh, righty pitcher, your breaking ball is going to break in towards lefties, and then you want something that's going to break away from lefties, which would be your changeup or a sinker. Those are both going to fade away the opposite direction. That's having a balanced repertoire. 
especially as a starter who you're going to throw many, many innings against many, many hitters, you need weapons to get both sided hitters out. So if you have an incredible breaking ball or something like that, sure, you can get by a little bit better. But if that pitch isn't on every day, which it never will be every day, your your stuff fluctuates, like maybe your fastball is great today and your curveball is kind of crappy and your changeup is just average. That's a pretty normal day as a, as a pitcher. And you learn to battle with that stuff. And people in the bleachers don't really realize that on any given day, their favorite pitcher out there on the mound is really not going to battle with his best stuff. It almost never happens. The way it's always been sort of summarized to me, and I, I confirmed this through my own career, that if you were to break out all of your outings into clusters of four, basically on one of those four games, your stuff is just awesome. Like you come out, you feel fresh, your fastball's really firm, your breaking stuff is sharp, your command's good, like everything is good one of those four days, and it's just gonna be easy to win and be really good. On the other of the fourth day, or uh, the other, like another one of the four, your stuff is gonna kind of suck. Like your command's not gonna be great, your fastball's gonna feel mushy, your curveball's not biting very well, like everything's just kind of bad, and you're gonna lose that game, or you're just not gonna pitch well. The other two days, when your stuff is just okay, you know, maybe your velocity's a little down, but your curveball's pretty sharp, or maybe your curveball's pretty muddy, but your command is good or whatever it is. The other two days, you're just going to be okay. And that is definitely my experience and the experience of many other pitchers. Uh, those are the games that really define pitchers because they either win both those games by really gritting through it and being competitive and finding ways to win. And then they become a, I win three out of four games kind of pitcher, or they find a way to lose those two games. Oh, I don't feel my best. You know, ah, my curveball wasn't breaking. That's why I didn't pitch too well. They find ways to lose those games and they became a, a, a one in three pitcher out of every four. So you have to understand that having a third pitch is a really big importance to fail safe because there's lots of days when a starter goes out there, hey, my curveball is not great, but my changeup's there. My slider is really, really good today. My changeup kind of stinks. So a lot of days they're going to battle with two pitches and then they have the third. And you could be saying right now, well, that's a great argument to have four because then you have an extra tool where when one's not sharp, the other two are still there. Now you have three good pitches every day. And that's not bad thinking, but the reality is, going back to my first point, is that you don't have the time and the reps to develop three secondary pitches to being really excellent, not in amateur baseball. It takes a long time to get to that point. And if you just broke up your bullpen sessions into, I'm gonna throw equal percentages of all four pitches, that's 25% of each pitch, in a 40 pitch bullpen, that's 10 fastballs, 10 curveballs, 10 sliders, 10 changeups. That's not a lot of reps of each one. In reality, it's going to be better over the long term. You're going to end up throwing hundreds and thousands of more of each one if you throw in a 40 pitch bullpen, you know, 13 fastballs, 13 changeups, 13 sliders. That extra 30% is going to make a really big difference in each pitch over the long run because really it's a race to throwing hard enough right? Throwing above 90 miles per hour all the time. If you want to play pro baseball, having a strikeout pitch, which is defined as something that you can go to, to punch a guy out, a swing and miss pitch, like an Andrew Miller slider, something like that, that when, if I've got this guy O2 and I need a strikeout, I've got this weapon, this nasty slider, this nasty curveball, or this 99 mile per hour fastball that I can get a, a whiff with reliably. That's what a strikeout pitch is. You need that an out pitch. And then the, your third pitch is typically just going to be something that's decent. If you have two out pitches, like you have a filthy curveball and a filthy changeup, then man, you're just going to have an easy time cruising up through the ranks. But that's not going to be the reality either. And so the goal is 
constant assessment. Do I have a legit out pitch? Something I could just wipe out an inning with, just curveball, boom, punch you out. Next guy getting out of a jam, boom, fastball, curveball, curveball, punch out that guy too. Do you have an out pitch? And if you don't, you have to work really hard and spend extra time on doing that and getting that out pitch. But yet, when you throw a fastball and a cutter and a splitter and a changeup and a slider, now you have five pitches. None of those are going to get good enough because you're not going to be able to give them enough attention to make them really, really special. It takes a long time and thousands of pitches to hone something great. So it's a common problem that I see that when I ask players that I'm new working with or whatever, what do you throw? I, I, I often hear, I, I wouldn't say more often than not, but I very often hear I throw these four or these five pitches. And when, again, when you really look hard at major leaguers, go into fangraphs.com, look at the breakdowns of some of these guys. There are more pitchers than ever throwing a fourth pitch in the big leagues, but the vast majority did not make it there because they threw four. They added a fourth because it was a very purposeful pitch. And I'll leave, with, I'll leave you with this little idea to think about. If you add a fourth pitch, like you're not going to throw two changeups, right? There's a, there's a changeup, right? You're going to figure out what changeup works for you. So your changeup is your changeup and your fastball is essentially your fastball. Now, if you add a second breaking ball, that means you throw a curveball and you're adding a slider or a slider and you're adding a curveball or you're adding a cutter. So if you throw a cutter, if you're adding a cutter, when are you going to throw that cutter? And how good is it? And who do you throw it to? And in what situations? It's a very purposeful pitch. Usually a cutter, it's not a swing and miss pitch. If it's really special, like you throw at 93 miles per hour, like Kenley Jansen, then it can be a swing and miss pitch. But for the vast majority of pitchers that throw cutters, it's a purpose pitch. It's something I can get this on the hands of a lefty. I can, you can jam a lefty with it if I'm a righty. Or if you're like me, because I threw a cutter one of my years, um, that's a pitch that I can get a ground ball with. I can throw this on the first pitch or a 2-1 count and have it bite over the outside part of the plate and it'll get a guy to roll over a ground ball. That was the reason I threw a cutter. I didn't throw cutters for any other reason except to jam lefties and to get righties to put the ball on the ground. That was the situation I used it. And most younger players, they're not going to be in these battles with hitters because hitters aren't good enough where they have to do stuff like that. The other thing is, say you add two breaking balls, you add your second ball, your second curveball or your, your slider. Why do you throw a slider versus a curveball? Or in a situation, all right, it's one and two. Why do you throw a curveball instead of a slider? How do you pick between the two? And this is where it comes back to if you if you have a really nasty out pitch, why would you not throw that? Are you going to throw your mediocre curveball versus your nasty slider? I don't think so. If you need a strikeout, throw the strikeout pitch. It's just going to come down to almost having like two power drills. Why would you have two power drills when one of them is exceptional, right? If that one does the job all the time, then just use it. So that's kind of the, the situation here. And I think it's a really important conversation to have with yourself and ask yourself, why do I throw four pitches? Why do I throw five pitches? And again, this is not counting your fastball. You, you, you throw a fastball. A cutter is a different pitch. A two-seamer is not. Four-seamer, two-seamer, they're both just, I throw a fastball. So really look hard. Make sure you have a valid reason. And I would, I would warn and encourage all of you listening to drop down to three pitches. Figure out what your best three are. It's probably fastball, changeup, curveball, or fastball, changeup, slider, and really nurture those three and try to get to the point where, man, one of these, I can really wipe out an inning with it. And the other one is coming up behind it and it's getting pretty darn good. That's the goal. And that's why most pitchers only want to have three pitches until they get pretty deep into pro baseball. 
All right, today's 90 second mindset is how to handle being on the bench and how to be a good teammate on the bench. This is for players. And uh, I'm just gonna keep this short, but here's here's the point here. Number one, you're gonna find time on the bench and hear what coaches look for when they have a play on the bench. They want you to stay engaged in the game, show that you actually care about your teammates and your team even when you're not playing because it's a common thing that when I'm not playing in the game, I don't really care what happens because I'm not out there. That's something that college coaches will notice in the stands. Your coach will notice if you're mentally checked out when you're not playing. And it's honestly just really disrespectful to your teammates. Now, at the same time, it can be hard to cheer on your teammates genuinely when you're injured. And I've been injured for four plus years of my career. So I know what it's like to sit on the bench and be like, this is BS. This is unfair. I should be out there. Why am I hurt again? And you have to put on a smiling face. Often it's a fake smile and give your teammates a high five and and try to cheer for them as best you can when maybe you're just like not that happy, right? Like you don't get a chance to play. It's not fair. Like I said, it could be injuries, it could be something else. That's a genuine, it's a real feeling and it doesn't make you selfish to feel that way. Everyone who's hurt, who has to watch their teammates go out there or they just, they're just not good enough and it sucks watching everyone else get playing time and have fun and you're on the bench. Those are real emotions. And so I struggle with trying to make this rah-rah BS on the bench. Like I'm not going to mandate that players are going to, you know, be extra cheery and this and that. Like I understand what it's like to sit on the bench. It sucks, right? It just sucks. So let's be honest with each other. But that being said, there are things that you have to do to be a good teammate. And that is number one, stay engaged, like watch the game. If you don't actually care about your team winning, then the sports is not a, not cut out for you. Even when I was on the bench for years on end, always hurt, always like in an elbow sling, I still cared if my team won. I didn't necessarily care if my shortstop went four for four, but if he had a good at bat and he scored us a run and he hit a ball to the, to the fence or whatever, I was still excited because he was helping our team win. And yeah, I care about him and he's part of the team and all that. I don't necessarily care about his, his individual stats, but I'm excited that he's helping us win. And so you get up with that. You want to be a part of the team. You want to be part of the, the whole winning experience because that's fun. The worst thing when you're hurt is to be on a losing team. You're hurt and your team sucks. You can't win a game. That's no fun. So it's still fun to be part of a good team where you're having fun, you're winning and everyone's excited. So you just want to try to fold yourself into that and be as involved in the game as you can. Watch the pitcher, you know, try to guess what he's going to throw. Watch the hitter. Um, try to put yourself in the situations and, and remind yourself of what's going on, like where the shortstop might go if you were a shortstop, like what duties does a player have? Just find some way to absorb yourself in the game and just make it clear that you're into it, that you're paying attention, even if you're not being a big rah-rah guy, which again, I think lots of times teams are fake rah-rah and I hate that. Be who you are. I'm not a rah-rah person. So for me to like force everyone to be super rah-rah is hypocritical. Like be who you want to be. Some people are high en energy. Some people are low energy. Be who you want to be, but be in the game. And if you can't be in the game, find a way to be absorbed into the game. Find some aspect of it that you can focus on and mentally check into. And then after that, just do the, the minimum, do the, do the, do the foundational stuff that helps your team run. So offer to go, you know, warm up the left fielder if you can do it, um, help clean up the dugout, help just keep the place moving, like assist your coach with whatever, count pitches, um, do the charts, like whatever it is, stay busy and stay 
just be helpful to your buddies, you know, help them find their gear, help guys get water, just be helpful. When you're being helpful, that's sort of your role and you're, you're being a good teammate by contributing in whatever way you can to getting W's. And again, just like continue to have more fun. Cause again, at the end of the day, I'll leave you on this. The only thing worse than being hurt or being on the bench, cause you're just not performing is being on a team that loses. Cause now everyone is down, including you. So it's at the very least fun to win, even when you're not playing. All right, now's time for our listener Q&A portion of the show. Questions from the pious. Pious means to be devoutly faithful. And if you're devout to the game of baseball, then you're exactly the kind of person I want to hear from. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewitt.com. All right, so today's question is an email question, and this was uh, actually it might have been an Instagram question. I can't remember, but it's a, it's a web question, and the question is, hey, the season has started. I'm off to a slow start. Haven't been pitching that well, and basically it boils down to that I haven't been uh, getting calls on the outside corner by the umpire, and then I walk guys or I have to bring it over the middle, and then I get hit a lot. So what do I do to improve the situation? So this is a common, really common question. Number one, it can be tough to come out of the gate hot, right? You haven't pitched in a long time. Everyone was laid off from coronavirus. Uh, opening days are just scary a lot of times. But the biggest thing that I would tell young players is that there is this obsession with pitching on the corners of the plate that becomes very, very counterproductive. Because uh, when you say, hey, I'm not getting the calls, like I'm, I'm not getting calls on the corner of the plate, the question is, well, why are you competing with the black of the plate so much? You know, umpires don't squeeze you when you throw the ball over the white of the plate. You know, once in a while, they'll make an egregious, you know, miss. But in general, umpires make bad calls by giving pitches that are not in the strike zone a strike call. They don't nearly as much in amateur baseball miss pitches that are on the white of the plate and call them balls. It happens, but it's way less frequent than expanding the strike zone. I think we'd all probably agree with that. So if you're saying I'm getting squeezed or I'm, I'm missing, I'm not getting the calls on the corners. The question again is why are you focused on the black of the plate so much? Learn to compete on the white of the plate. And this is a really important takeaway for young players because a lot of times they will get ahead right down the middle on the first pitch and it's great. All right. Oh, one. Perfect. We're off. We're off and running. And now the catcher jumps over to the corner of the plate. He's splitting the black with his cup, you know, his, that's where he's, you know, when you center a catcher, you say, Hey, where should I set up? Wherever your cup is, is the center of your body. Right. And so your mitt is going to be right there. So if you're a catcher and your cup is splitting the black of the plate, pretty much everything to the, you know, the, the outside is a ball. It's an automatic ball. So 50% of, of a pitcher's misses are going to be that direction on average they're going to be balls. So now your likelihood of throwing a strike right off the bat when you're splitting the black of the plate is about 50 50. So even big leaguers don't jump to the black of the plate on 01. Watch them, watch them really intently. They're really more on the white of the plate on the outer third or inner third. So lots of young players, they get into trouble because they're so often obsessed with throwing on the corners. And when they do this, they fall behind the count. So they get ahead 01 or they get ahead on the first pitch. Now they're 01. Great. Then they jump to the black, they miss because they don't have a lot of margin for error. And now they're back over the middle of the plate, 1-1. When hitters seen two pitches, he's a little more comfortable. 
And now you're trying to get to one, two. So you throw him another fastball and he bangs it into the gap. That's pretty normal. And that's because of a lack of strategy. You're much better off, you know, being really competitive on the first pitch down the middle. That's great. Throw him a first pitch fastball, challenge him, or throw him a first pitch changeup or curveball, throw it right down the middle of the plate, encourage them to swing at it. If they swing at a first pitch changeup or curveball, they're dumb. Let them do it. They're going to get out nine out of 10 times they've swing at a first pitch curveball. So compete down the middle of the plate first, and then you're 01, great. Let's move to the half, the outer half, or the outer third at most. So we still have some way of the plate, so we still have margin for error, so our likelihood of throwing a strike and getting to 02 is much greater. And if they put that ball in play, an outer half fastball or an outer third fastball or an inner third fastball, they're going to be out a lot of the time. They're not going to barrel that up that much. So a lot of times it's a strategic error where pitchers are focused too much on the black of the plate and they really need to learn and get excited about competing with hitters. Like competing's fun. Throw the ball by a dude. You know, don't be afraid of him putting the ball in play. Compete on the white part of the plate. And if you do that, you're going to find this cascade effect where you're going to be ahead in way more counts. And because you're ahead in way more counts, hitters are going to start to feel more defensive. Now you can throw your off-speed stuff more, and they'll swing and expand the strike zone for you, which is going to make your day on the mound much, much easier. Well, that's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. They're start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, my first book, is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, the book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.